The Stoics once said, the obstacle is the way. To me, this is a phrase that makes you stop and ponder what this really means. The obstacle is the way. As I sat with the phrase, my mind immediately gravitated toward our current times as well as the past few years. Division among one another and those we call our neighbors, bringing leadership into question, bringing ourselves into question, confronting ourselves through means like our mental and emotional health, and even going so far as to ask, how much longer, Lord? Of course, there's our own individual obstacles as well, which I'll safely imagine that you know all too well. I bring something up like the obstacle is the way because we can sometimes get caught up on the obstacle itself, whatever it may resemble. Instead of being responsive, we can be reactive. Instead of being productive and constructive, we can be destructive. Instead of choosing to do something with the obstacle or about the obstacle, we can let the obstacle rule and reign over our lives. So, I'd like to invite each of us to not only sit with this phrase, the obstacle is the way, but to do so through the lens of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. Now, before I dive into this passage, I'd like to lay out a little bit of context on the book of James itself. The author identifies himself as James, one of Jesus' brothers and the leader of the Jerusalem Council from Acts chapter 15. In the opening verse of the book, James plainly states who his audience is, the twelve tribes of Israel scattered among the nations. Here, the book of James emphasizes what Christianity needs to resemble, good deeds and a faith that works, a faith that is accompanied by a consistent lifestyle. For the sake of our focal passage, these verses reflect a number of trials and temptations from verses 2 through 18. More specifically, our passage focuses on the testing of faith, which I'd like to think pairs pretty well with the phrase, the obstacle is the way. All this being said, here now James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, the New Revised Standard Version. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to you. But ask in faith, never doubting, for the one who doubts is like a sea, <laughs> is like a wave of the sea, there we go, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now here ends the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. Did you notice how James states, whenever you face trials of any kind, not if, but when? Not only this, but he even goes so far as to suggest that we need to consider these trials as nothing but joy. Let's keep it real for a moment. Who on earth would ever consider something like trials and obstacles as something to be joyful toward? If I had to be even more real in the heat of the moment, in the middle of that trial and obstacle or obstacle, 
the last thing I'd want to think about is, or say, Oh joy! Yay hardship! Hooray! Even as a little grown adult like myself, I still wrestle with this notion to this very day. So, why should we consider trials and obstacles nothing but joy? Verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The obstacle is the way. The obstacle, or the trial, whatever we want to call it, can point us toward growing and developing endurance. You can call it thick or tough skin, tolerance, or whatever else. In my mind, and in my experience, producing endurance has meant naming a situation for what it is, accepting what's happening, and, and making the conscious effort and decision to do something about it. I'm not making the decision to stay stuck or bicker, gripe, and moan on something like Facebook in a passive-aggressive manner, or even running away from what's happening. I'm choosing to do something about it, to produce endurance, to let the obstacle be the way. As a result, we get to experience and lean into verse 4, to let endurance have its full effect so that we may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Here, I'm reminded of seeing how we really are in the midst of a trial or obstacle, and whether we're <laughs> and whether we're reactive or responsive. Reactive people do this very thing. React. They complain. They play the vixen card or say, woe is me. And they even allow whatever's happening to consume them whole. I will openly acknowledge the log in my own eye here and say that I've been that person from time to time. Now, on the other hand, responsive people do as the name suggests. Respond. They have the audacity, and I do mean audacity, to name the trial or obstacle, take ownership of their actions, and, again, make some conscious effort toward doing something constructive and productive. These are the kinds of people, or the types of people, whatever you want to call it, I think, who experience the full effects of verse 4, to become mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. Because they strive to do something about a trial or obstacle, I'd also like to think that responsive people lean into verse 5, that they ask God to give them a sense of wisdom, of discernment, direction, and clarity. I couldn't think of another D word. I'm sorry. Here's the cool thing about this. When we ask God to grant us wisdom, God will give this to us generously without any reluctancy whatsoever. It's almost as if James is telling us that God is both willing and excited to give us this wisdom, at least in my mind. And here, as a side note, I'm personally reminded of the reality that God seeks relationship with us, especially when we turn to God's own self. However, there's a but here with verse 6. When we approach God and ask God to give us wisdom, James tells us to ask in faith, all the while never doubting. Do we, will we, trust God enough to know that God will provide for us? Do we, will we, have enough patience ooh, 
Ugh, I know I said the, I said the word patience and endurance to trust that God will provide. Will we even go so far as to ponder a thought like, what is God wanting me to notice and pay attention to here? What opportunities are present that I need to lean into? What could God potentially want to show me with this trial and obstacle? How might the obstacle be the way? Now, I bring this but statement up because the remainder of the passage lends itself toward being reactive. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the doubter, being double-minded and unstable in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. In essence, the trial, the obstacle, in and of itself becomes the focal point. It's as though we allow whatever this may be to toss us around and have its way with us. Now, what could this look like? I'm glad you asked. From my personal experience, it's the kind of anxiety that keeps you up at night, playing and rehearsing all sorts of scenarios within your heart and mind. It's the kind of stress that causes you literal physical pain. It's that feeling of being trapped and as though there's no escape. It's the type of doubt that's indeed double-minded and unstable in every way. Nothing is given or received from God. The obstacle is too much. But so what, Marcus? What's your point? Here's several things that I'd like for you to sit with and do as I myself have and still am sitting with and making efforts to do. Name the obstacle. I don't know what your obstacle, obstacles, is, are, but you and God do. Maybe you're hung up with a part of your past. Maybe you're hung up with something happening right now. Maybe you're rehearsing scenarios toward the future that haven't happened and may not even happen. Maybe you don't want to sit with yourself and instead you're running away. Maybe it's something else. Name whatever the obstacle is. Second, ask God what's present with the obstacle. There's no one-size-fits-all way to ask God about this. If you're lacking in wisdom, ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and as James tells us, it will be given to you. If anything, turn the question into a conversation. In the process, choose to have the audacity to trust that God is God and that there's something here with the obstacle. What could God be trying to show you with said obstacle? Who could God be in this case? Who might God want you to be? What is God trying to reveal to you about God's own self, others, and even yourself? As you talk and ask God questions, may it be an opportunity for your faith to produce endurance so that you may become mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. And lastly, choose to do something. If you listen to me in nearly almost all the segments that I do on my podcast, this is like a recurring, this actually not like, this is a recurring theme that I come back to, choosing to do something. You could choose to be reactive, being the one who doubts and gets tossed around like a wave in the sea. You could choose the route of, woe is me. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. <laughs> anyway, moving forward. Staying stuck 
and essentially doing nothing about the trial or obstacle. In doing so, will you really receive anything from the Lord, as James suggests? On the other hand, you could choose to be as responsive as possible to the obstacle or trial. Accept what is and work with what's in front of you. Consider what you might be missing and what God's perhaps wanting you to notice. Do the difficult but rewarding work of being patient. Do the difficult but rewarding work of enduring whatever the obstacle is. At the end of the day, the obstacle is the way. What could God be drawing your attention to with the obstacle?